And so, having sent his Son to fulfill the work of the cross, to give us the very gospel to preach, he needed a man to preach it. Who would that man be? What would his qualifications be? Who would we choose and select for such a task? Well, the answer is obvious, and we know from the chapter we have read tonight that that choice of God's sovereign purpose was the outstanding character and figure, Paul the Apostle. Above all men, above all the other apostles combined, this one man was the choice vessel of the Lord to take the gospel to spread Christianity so that within decades it would be and permeate every corner of Roman civilization. And welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and I trust that today we will glorify the Lord together and enjoy Him. The only way to enjoy the Lord is to know Him and to enter into His courts with praise and thanksgiving. Today we're going to read in the Scriptures in Matthew 5, beginning verse 27. The Sermon on the Mount. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her, that is divorced, committeth adultery. Well, here you have a very vital portion of Scripture. And I want you to notice that this Sermon on the Mount, the Lord shows the extent and the spiritual nature of the law. That is, that the law is a matter of the heart, of the thoughts, and of the inner life, as well as the outward actions. Again, the Lord is holding up the mirror of the law to expose the depths of sin in the human heart. Note that instead of bringing people from under the law's requirements, the Lord brought people to examine themselves in its full light. He said, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. The eyes can cause sin in the heart without any other action of the body. The eyes alone can lead the heart to commit adultery. Now apply this to the carnal, depraved hearts of all men. Think on the consumption of immoral magazines, internet pornography that is growing exponentially, and you will see how terribly sinful men are in the sight of God. If God should mark iniquity, who should stand? Paul said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And that includes you and me. Thus, we need mercy and we need cleansing in the blood of Jesus Christ. 
The law is the handmaid of the gospel. It shows us how much we need the Savior. Instead of the Sermon on the Mount go, go, going easy on sin and making light of sin, it puts the magnifying glass upon sin. Now you need to own up to the wicked state of your heart. You need to realize just how lost you are before the judgment seat of Christ. Without salvation, you are eternally lost, for you have sinned in heart a thousand, thousand times. The other issue which our Lord covers in this Bible reading is divorce. The only ground sanctioned by the Lord is fornication. The Jews of his day were seeking divorce for the slightest thing. Now, God hates divorce. Marriage he intended to be between man and wife till death do them part. But sin comes in and makes people fight over the least thing, and they end up in the divorce courts. The Lord taught that this is only to add to sin. It is only to promote adultery. Here again, we see the need for grace and mercy. If you are divorced today, you have done wrong, but there is mercy. You can be saved from this sin also. All manner of sin and iniquity can be forgiven apart from the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. Yes, adultery can be covered in the blood of Christ. Christ died for all sins, but there must be repentance and, where possible, reconciliation. There must be a cleaving to the Lord to know his tender mercy who will forgive the sinner. Remember the woman whom Jesus met at the well of Samaria? She had had five different men in her life, and yet the Lord saved her. She was forgiven. What a wonderful Savior we have. He is faithful to point out our sins and powerful to forgive them through his atoning blood. Oh, my friend, run to Calvary today for cleansing, and you also shall know the liberating power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus in your soul. That's my prayer for you today, and I trust that even though we've had this magnifying glass right up to expose the sin of your heart, that that might be the very thing that would make you to recognize your need of the Savior who came into the world to live and to die and to rise again to justify you from your sins. And I plead with you, do not run from the magnifying glass, but see that horrible sight of sin and see it as in the eyes of a holy God who hates all sin, and who must judge sin. If it is not judged in a substitute in his Son at the cross, then it must be judged in the sinner on that judgment day, and eternal hell fire will be the awful, awful outcome of the wicked who know not God. And I plead with you today to hear the gospel message, seek the cleansing power, of Jesus' precious blood, and be saved. Let's unite in prayer today and ask for God's mercy. O God, our Father, we come today in Jesus' name. We thank Thee for that atoning blood and that sacrifice that was made by the death of our Lord Jesus for sin, that His death was a sacrificial death, an atoning death, because of the horrors, and the iniquity of sin. We thank Thee that there is therefore an answer for sin today. There is cleansing and pardon through 
the blood of Jesus. And, O oh God, we would ask that thou wilt have mercy upon each today that hears this message, that they might be brought to faith, to look unto Jesus, to flee from their own sin, repenting, having exceeding heart sorrow over their wayward, wicked ways, and they would plead the grace, the pardon that is in the Lord Jesus. O oh God, I thank thee that there is pardon with thee today. Thou art a pardoning God. How great is thy pardon, and what a wonderful, pardoning, merciful God thou art. We worship thee as the, the God of mercy, the God of grace, the God who sent your Son into the world to die for sinners. Such is your great love toward men. We ask that thou wilt send thy Spirit to convict men of their sin and to reveal the Lord Jesus through thy word. We pray for thy blessing upon every hearer today, to guide, to lead, to comfort, to give thy Spirit unto them, that they may know the living Christ and walk in the light as thou art in the light. And thou hast promised that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now bless today, receive our thanksgiving for the gospel. In Jesus' name. listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and it's a real joy to bring you the message of the gospel today. 
Now, at the end of the program, we'll be inviting you to join us for our Reformation Conference here in our church. And I want you to take down the website. It's www.cloverdealfpc.ca. The phone number is 604-576-1091. And I'll be delighted to take your call and help you. And, of course, we invite you along to our church here in Cloverdale on the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. And again, we'll give those announcements toward the end of the program. But firstly, we're going to be looking at the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. Stay tuned with us as we bring this message from the pulpit of our church here in Cloverdale. Paul. If any man's success can be measured by the not only his own personal convictions, or by his oratory, or by his writings, but by delivering the goods of going out into a pagan Roman world with its Greek influence, and actually planting living churches with saints who are converted, who are willing to live and die for the gospel. All was in a few years, able to see that mighty miracle accomplished. No other church planter in the New Testament compares with the accomplishments of this man in his ability to go out, preach to the, to the uh, ignorant soul, introduce him to the gospel, first-generation Christians— and see them welded together and established into New Testament churches. That is no small feat. And to go from city to city in the Mediterranean world and doing so. And he was no dictator. He was a much-loved pastor. There is at the close in the 20th chapter of Acts a most... I use the word pathetic in its uh, sympathetic way, a scene of Paul leaving his congregation. He's going on to the ship. He's saying farewell, and the people come out. They embrace and fall upon his neck with tears. They fear that he's going to Jerusalem, and they may never see him again. His life's in danger. These people love this man. This is no tyrant, dictator, leader. This is a man with all the bowels and compassion of the grace of the gospel that he is able to convey to men of all walks of life the grace of the Lord Jesus. This is a man larger than life. This is a man that if you met him, you would sense that he has something from God that attracts the believer and draws you to follow in his footsteps and to willingly serve in his fellowship. Then also we should appreciate the man as a traveler. In days of no fast travel, you could have met this man in various forms of travel on almost any ship on a sea route to or from Rome, in the Mediterranean seas, the Aegean Sea, minor Asia, you could have met him on horseback. 
He certainly went on horseback from Jerusalem to Caesarea when he was under duress. And most often you would have met this man on foot as he traversed the rocky paths of the terrain now known as Turkey in the Mediterranean, minor Asia, areas that were difficult to reach. Mind you, the Romans had made a marvelous job at opening up those areas with their roadways and their main routes and their colonies that were Roman garrisons and so on, uh, their trade routes and garrison settlements uh, opened up those ways marvelously. And Paul would have walked those routes, traversing city after city, taking the gospel of the Lord Jesus to them. He was a man who was willing to give up his domestic comforts of home life that he might go forth with the gospel. In fact, I would have to say that as we look at Paul's sacrifices and willingness to suffer for the gospel, most of us would look like pansies alongside of him. We complain about little discomforts in life and things that irk us. But what this man endured, when you get to 2 Corinthians, when his back is against the wall and he seeks to prove that he is an apostle indeed, and he talks about his shipwrecks and his travels and his dangers and his beatings, who can write such a record or a journal as the apostle? Then I would have you to appreciate this man also as an organizer. Paul was no nomad merely on the loose. He was no mere fleeting man from pillar to post at a loose end. He carried with him the care of all the churches. Indeed, uh, in 2 Corinthians 11, we are told of that. Beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. I've thought about this, and this is not something many people can do. Paul could be in Corinth and be involved in the details of the people's lives in the city of Rome. There was no telephone, there was no email, there was no fast correspondence, but Paul was managing some of the difficulties and the details as he wrote these letters, many of them from the city of Corinth, as he wrote these letters, he was calling on various young men to step up. Timothy, Titus, Epaphroditus, seeking their aid, advising them of a church in need. He had the ability to be in one city and, and concerned about the needs of a people hundreds of miles away and fully involved in the life of that church. There's an old saying that I think affects most of us, out of sight, out of mind. When you get over the next hill, whatever's behind you, it's out of sight. It's, it's not concerning me anymore. That was not the attitude of this man. He had the mind of an organizer. He rebuked the Corinthians for their chaos and disorder. In 1 Corinthians 14, when they are in need of an interpreter due to all the languages that they were breaking out in and the chaos there. He rebuked them for that. And he said this, And the rest will I set in order when I come unto you. So whatever date Paul the apostle arrived, he had his agenda, he had his to-do list. 
He was an organizer. And he was going to arrive and set things in order in that church aright. The letter was a temporary arrangement until he got there. So he was thinking of them. He wanted things put on abeyance until he arrived. And then he would deal with those issues. What a mind. What a heart. What a respect he truly must have had amongst these converts, first-generation Christians. And what a blessing he was to them. Sixthly, we need a, an appreciation for this man as a contender for the faith. In Acts 7, that's back a little bit from our chapter we read, we find Paul holding the coat of those that are stoning Stephen. That was not a good position. But that just shows you the crowd that he was with at that time. He was consenting to the death of Stephen, although he didn't actually throw the rocks. In chapter 7, he was holding the coat of the stoning of a Christian martyr. In chapter 17, we find him on Mars Hill, preaching to the Athenians, who is the unknown God, defending the faith. In chapter 25, we find him standing before Festus, the procurator, in the next chapter, he is before Agrippa, a king so-called of Judea, and he contends again for the faith. And in chapter 28, he's in Rome because he appealed to Caesar. And by appealing to Caesar, he didn't actually save his life because Nero was merciless. He was more of a beast than a man. And Paul ended up laying his head on a chopping block. But he didn't flinch, even before Nero. And you read his last words in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. There is therefore led up for me a crown of righteousness. He's not going to give in. He has the hope of glory in his soul. This gospel that he professed and preached, he sealed with his own blood as a contender for the faith. There's one more area that I haven't really developed, but I was in the prayer meeting tonight and it struck me like a lightning bolt, an appreciation for this man as a man of prayer. We want to know what we ought to be as men of prayer. Just take a look at Paul on his knees. And some of the letters that he writes, he talks about being on his knees for individual churches, for particular needs. He was undoubtedly a man of prayer and depended on the grace of God and depended on the power of God to work in his life. I've painted with a big brush tonight, but I think you will see the wisdom of God choosing the vessel. I don't think we could say that God made a mistake when he called Paul the Apostle or Saul of Tarsus to be his apostle. But we appreciate that Saul was not his own man. He was called to do God's work. 
Having set all this out tonight to appreciate the man, there are three lessons I would bring to your attention. Number one, God chooses the vessels for the work. God chooses the vessels. You will never be something God does not want you to be. It is therefore your duty and my duty to be on our knees and do as this man did and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? God sets the agenda, not men. All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence. We're so thankful for the ministry of the Apostle Paul and for the much of the New Testament which he has given to us, used, of course, by the Holy Spirit to pen the Scriptures and to give us the glorious gospel that we rejoice in today. If I can be of personal help, make sure you give us a call and be in touch with us here at the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale. My number is 604 9-1. Give me a call, and if I can be of personal help, I'll be glad to talk with you. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Thank you for joining us on the program today. As we give thanks to the Lord this Thanksgiving season, I want to thank you for your faithful listening to this program and for those who have supported with their gifts. 
it's timely to consider supporting this program with a Thanksgiving gift. We are presently airing these programs on 10 stations right across Canada. Some are on Sunday mornings, and others are Monday to Friday. From time to time, we remind you as our listeners that if you are blessed through these programs, please consider helping us with the cost of airtime to get the gospel out to you and throughout much of Canada. You can check out our donation button on our church website, ltbs.ca. For all the information on how to donate by e-transfer, PayPal, or by mail-in check, go to ltbs.ca. The mailing address is LTBS 18790, 58th Avenue, Surrey, B.C., V3S 1M6. Thank you for your support, large or small. May the Lord bless you and keep you in His care, and above all, save souls through the gospel of His Son, as we preach it on these airwaves each week. For information or pastoral help, go to our website, ltbs.ca, or just give me a call at 604-897-2040. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Have a blessed Thanksgiving week.